you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. What is up? Welcome to another edition of the NFL Fantasy Football Show. It's me, your man, MG Marcus Grant, still masking and socially distancing when and where necessary. Joined by Michael F. Florio and producer Steve, and uh, we're continuing our exit interviews. Um, I Look, let's just jump into this, right? Because I, I want to get Steve in here, too. Uh, Florio, I'm going to get your thoughts on this. I didn't know what I wanted to talk about to start the show uh, until literally maybe half an hour before we sat down to record this because uh, this morning as I was sitting eating my breakfast uh, and I'm, I'm watching Twitter, Dan Campbell is having his press conference and I see the quotes scrolling through. Um, and, and Steve, you gave us a great analogy uh, last time about what it was like to have Dan Campbell hired as the coach. It's like you basically said you want like a great Christmas present and you get like a bocce ball or something like that. And you're like, this is nice. I don't know what to do with it. Um, well, along those lines, just some of the quotes coming out of the press conference were incredible. And I know, Steve, you said you haven't you, you didn't see anything. You haven't heard anything. You haven't read anything. Right. You don't no, I know. Haven't, I, haven't, I haven't seen anything. So anything okay. you're about to tell me right now, I'm hearing for the first time. So this is this is this is the marquee. This was the money quote of the press conference. And, you know, every every coach goes in and talks about what identity they want to build and, and what kind of team they want to create. Um, so here's the quote. This team is going to take on the identity of this city. This city has been down and it found a way to get up. It found a way to overcome adversity. So this team is going to be built on, we're going to kick you in the teeth. And when you punch us back, we're going to smile at you. And when you knock us down, we're going to get up. And on the way up, we're going to bite a kneecap off. We're going to stand up. And then it's going to take two more shots to knock us down. And on the way up, we're going to take your other kneecap and we're going to get up. And then it's going to take three shots to get us down. And when we get up, we're going to take another hunk out of you. Before long, we're going to be the last one standing. I know this is an audio podcast, but for we do this, I, I'm watching your face as I'm reading this quote. It is priceless. So now I want to get you... Are, are, are you, what, how are you feeling now about this? It, it's, well, I expected you to end that sentence like 15 times. <laughs> like you started out like, okay, it's pretty good. Yeah, Detroit's had like some up and down times. Okay, I get that. But what in the world? What was it about, uh, like biting your kneecaps? I mean, I, I think you guys have been penalized at least 15 yards just on the press conference alone. <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. Um, you know – uh, you, you call them like a PC principal, like maybe like really, really intense. And um, I guess that's what we have. Uh, like, yeah, someone has to. Holy smokes. <laughs> I don't even know what to do. Like, does, my, did anyone my biggest, like, prep him? Oh, my goodness. My biggest question is, does biting kneecaps make you stronger? Because he was like, it's going to take two shots to get us down. Then we're going to bite your kneecap and it's going to take three shots to get us down. I, I, I don't know. And like, <laughs> can you bite a kneecap off? Is that possible? I, have, I don't think I could physically do that. I have so I, many questions. I, I don't think that's the type of like um, attack that Detroit wants to be known for. <laughs> like, uh, like, yeah, like the scratching and clawing. Okay, but holy smokes, took it a little too far. Um, he's excited. Uh, I'm going to go into the Lions defense mode. He's excited. He's really, really <laughs> Some good things for the Lions in the future, and uh, he'll tone it back back down the line, I'm sure. But um, yeah, that that was a lot. So I, I, the, the, the I can't, other, can't wait to watch the rest of this. The other part of it that sort of confused me is that I guess he says he has been compared to, or uh, uh, people have said he sounds like the dude, um, you know, Jeff Jeff Lebowski, uh, you know, fr from the Big Lebowski. Yeah. Um, which confused the hell out of me because as far as look, I, that is maybe my favorite movie. And the dude is a vowed pacifist. Uh, so he certainly wouldn't talk about biting off kneecaps or anything like that. Um, I just, I got whiplash from going to the dude to biting off kneecaps. 
Good luck to you, sir. Uh, oh, they're actually yeah. lions or something. I, I don't know. Yeah, maybe he thinks he's coaching actual lions. I don't know. Um, <laughs> that team would be the last one standing. <laughs> like, uh, six years. He's got a six-year deal. So, um, Alrighty, then. Here we go. Memes galore. I think it's going to be great. Uh, That's so. good. Root for radio, root for podcasts. I guess we can we can get something out of that. Absolutely. So uh, good, good luck to you, Steve. Good luck to all Lions fans out there. Uh, Appreciate we it. Wish you the best. We wish you the best. Uh, on that note, let's get back into our exit interviews here. Uh, we have teams 21 through 24. Uh, let's get started. The, the number 21 pick belongs to the Indianapolis Colts, who finished 11 and 5. Um, again, I thought they were, a, they were a good team. I feel like offensively, you know, I'm not sure for at least the first half of the season what their identity offensively was. Um, and then, obviously, the big news comes on Wednesday with Philip Rivers announcing his retirement. Uh, I mean, it was Florida. I feel like they were a good team that didn't really have any major identity. Uh, I, I'm going to ask you what you thought was good. I know what the answer is going to be, so I will just open the floor to you on that. Yeah, it's Jonathan Taylor. I mean, <laughs> everyone had to know I was going to say that. And like, week one was really good, and then there was a stretch in between where like it looked very dicey. And, I mean, after their bye, like, I expected him to be kind of just set free. And it took a little bit longer than that. But once they finally gave him the full work, like, these, the lion's share, I guess, for lack of a better <laughs> word, of the workload, um, he really just performed like an RB1. He finished as the RB6 in total points, RB10 in points per game. So, I think right there there's plenty to build on with him. But I also think uh, Michael Pittman Jr. was a really good a uh, bright spot for them, especially the second half of the season with him uh, coming to life more. I know T.Y. Hilton had a big second half as well. But for me, I, I get excited for Michael Pittman Jr. Because, I mean, Marcus, you know him, USC mm-hmm. alum, but he's young. He's a big wide receiver. He's really athletic. So those are the two pieces that I'm most excited for. Going yeah, forward. I mean, Pittman is, like I said, he's young. He's got great hands. Um, I mean, he's not necessarily a speed burner. You're not going to get that out of him. But he's a guy who runs great routes. Uh, just very strong hands, and and we did see him flash at some point during the year. Um, I think they've got a good wide receiver core, right? I mean, you know, T.Y. Hilton still had his moments late in the season. We talked about Pittman. Zach Paschal, uh, you know, showed up at times. Uh, I was I was on a, another podcast recently, uh, and I was reminded of the name Paris Campbell, who has had his injury problems, but still uh, an incredible athletic talent that, that I know they hope to get on the field and, and get him involved in the offense, too, when they have the opportunity. So the pieces are there. Um, you know, obviously, Jonathan Taylor is going to be the headliner, I would imagine, going into 2021. And I know that, you know, you have been driving the hype train. I know that you're not alone. I know that there are a lot of folks out there who feel really excited about Jonathan Taylor and for very good reason. Um, you know, I, I do expect big things from him next year. So, I mean, I think that is good. Um on the flip side, well, I said I didn't really have a great idea of what their identity was on the good side. I don't feel like there was anything that I saw that was egregiously bad. I mean, you had an aging quarterback in Phillip Rivers that, you know, that had his struggles. Obviously, he's decided that that he's done playing professional football. Um, but I don't I don't know. Maybe I'm missing. But I just didn't feel like there was anything awful about this team. They just kind of were. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know how you, if you feel the same way. I do. I, I think there's room for improvements in the passing game, but I don't think like Philip Rivers was awful or holding this offense back by any stretch. Um, I do think like there, there's he's more of like the safe, boring quarterback who will dump it off to your running backs, which is great for Naheem Hines and Jonathan Taylor at part of the season. Uh, Naheem Hines was the big winner there, though. Um, I think a quarterback change could actually help the receivers a little bit because not only did Rivers love throwing to his running backs and his tight ends, he also gets rid of the ball very quickly. And uh, in the bit that I've watched him this year, it seems like he was doing even more of what he's done in the past, which is like he will put the ball like, you know, leave it like towards the uh, the sideline or something where his receiver can get under it and catch it and kind of get out of bounds or something like that. But he doesn't have the arm strength anymore to like just throw one in there and hit his receiver in stride and just let him like pick up yardage after the catch so I think that is the one area where maybe they could improve but yeah I don't think like Philip Rivers was holding them back I actually think their offense was better with Rivers than it was with Brissett a year ago I definitely think it was better with Rivers I think it it took 
you know, a month or two for them to sort of all get in sync with one another. Um, you know, I, I vividly remember midway through the season, you know, saying uh, both on this podcast and on Fantasy Live that, you know, we didn't want any part of Colts receivers. And I think that was because it just it took some time to adjust. I mean, let's let's remember uh, we talked about it in, in the case of rookies, but I think it applies. And for veterans, too. There was no training camp. There were, there were no preseason games. And so that time, uh, and it was hard for teams to get together and work out. I mean, there was there was COVID. There were concerns. And so that time that I think uh, a lot of these teams and a lot of quarterbacks or receivers in new places would have had otherwise to work on timing and that sort of thing, uh, that didn't exist this year. And so I think you had that learning curve. And so I, I do think in the back part of the season, um, those guys were better altogether. Uh, now, there's going to be another learning curve because we don't know who the quarterback is going to be for the Colts heading into 2021, which sort of begs the question, right? I'm, I'm, I'm looking right here at a list of, of potential free agents, right? Um, one of them actually is Jacoby Brissett. Uh, you know, figure Mitch Trubisky is likely to be out there. We've talked about Fitzpatrick. In theory, a guy like Carson Wentz and or Deshaun Watson might be available uh, if the, the Colts can put together the assets or have the interest in a trade. Is there a guy out there uh, that you feel like would be a great fit for this offense? I think you you said his name. I think Carson Wentz would be a good fit with this team. I know he's owed a lot of money. You'd have to trade for him. All that aside, though, if they were able to land Carson Wentz on their roster, he has a history with Frank Reich and has a history of success in this offense. Like His best season as a pro was 2017, where he threw – 33 touchdowns in just 13 games. Remember, he was one of the MVP candidates that year before he tore his ACL. That was the year the Eagles went on to win the Super Bowl with um, with Nick Foles. But Carson Wentz was playing great before he got hurt. So I think that he would be a logical fit there. And someone else, he said, like, Ryan Fitzpatrick, I think would just be <laughs> a ton of fun in this offense. Like, just chucking the ball up. He's not afraid to turn. A very different quarterback than Phillip Rivers, but I think Frank Wright could have some fun with him. So those would be the two that I would be rooting for. Personally. I do think those are good ones. And one, a name as, I, as I'm scrolling here, looking at these free agent quarterbacks, a name that I didn't mention that, that popped up that I think is interesting too, maybe Jameis Winston? Um, because I think he he has some Fitzpatrick-like qualities in the sense of, like, he's just going to stand back there and just throw it, right? Like, Jameis, you know... The good thing and the bad thing about Jameis to me is that he has a very short memory. Um, like, like, and that cuts both ways. Like sometimes it's like, hey, maybe remember, don't throw the ball, you know, into a pile of three guys. Like maybe remember that. Uh, also at the same time, like, hey, don't dwell on it because, you know, we need you to go out and make plays again. So, um, you know, I don't know how Frank Reich feels about a quarterback who you know could turn the ball over 30 times in a season. Um, but at least with those wide receivers, it, it could be interesting to, to have Jameis out there. Colts, Colts fans might not find him as much fun, but for fantasy, he oh, would yeah. be so much fun. I mean, moving the ball down to Pittman and, and Hilton <laughs> and all guys. Sorry, Colts fans. Uh, I'm not really thinking about your feelings right now. I'm thinking about how my fantasies go out. And Jameis working with you know Hilton and Pittman and Pascal uh, and Campbell and the like. Um, you know, he Hines out and, and Taylor out of the backfield. Uh, I think it could be fun. Um, you know, you, you might need to stock up on antacid, but, uh, you know, for the rest of us, it'd be a great time. Uh, all right. So that goes from 21. Number 22 is the Tennessee Titans, uh, who once again had a, another very good year. Um, and I think they, they were able to do a lot of things that we didn't think they could do again. Ryan Tannehill had another great year. Derrick Henry was, again, a baller. A.J. Brown, uh, again, completely balled out. I... Is is there one of those things that was better than the other? I mean, I know there, there seemed to be a lot of good things there. What was one or two that maybe you sort of really hung your hat on this year? To me, I think I think it's just the fact that it's the, the players that we want to be fantasy relevant in this offense are the one who get the volume. Like, Ryan Tannehill was a baller. Like, he's averaged over 21 fantasy points per game this year, and he's at that's – his norm since taking over with the Titans. He's averaged over 21 since being their starter. So I love seeing that in a full season and then even in the half season from last year. Derrick Henry, obviously, like just going for 2,000 yards and and somehow not catching the ball but still being <laughs> able to be top three fantasy running back is huge. To me, the biggest thing was A.J. Brown, though, because we kind of knew what Derrick Henry – we already knew what he was coming into this year. But 
A.J. Brown was a player that I was hopeful could take that step into being a wide receiver one. And I know it was a little bit frustrating for Brown at times this year, if you had him at least, because for me, I was sitting there like, why aren't you throwing the ball to this guy 10 times every single game? Like it took to week 17 for him to get double digit targets in a game. But even despite that, he was putting up the yardage. He's putting up the touchdowns. He showed us that he is still a beast to tackle once he has the ball in his hands. And then it came out this week, Marcus, that he maybe should have been shut down for the season <laughs> after that week one knee injury, which he says he shouldn't have said. Probably shouldn't have gone on Instagram Live fresh out of surgery. That's just me. But hearing that only makes me feel better about him going. Yeah, I mean, look, he's going to have surgery. I think he actually already may have already had surgery, but whatever. Um, will hopefully come back healthy and stronger and ready to go. But you're right. I mean, that that does give you a lot more reason to be optimistic uh, about what he's going to do going forward. Um, I. I also would throw in there, I mean, maybe it, it didn't finish as strong, but Corey Davis finally sort of became the guy that we had hoped years ago he could be. And and yeah, he did slump toward the end of the season, um, but still 65 catches, 984 yards, five touchdowns, not a bad year. It was sort of akin. I kept comparing it to last year when we had the Devontae Parker breakout season. This was the Corey Davis breakout year. Maybe it was just nice that he didn't have to try to carry the passing game and he had some help between uh, having A.J. Brown there. And, you know, John U. Smith for the first half of the year was was pretty outstanding until he sort of faded in the back half of the season. But either way, that pressure being taken off of Corey Davis, I think, had a lot to do with him kind of just being free to go out and perform uh, and, and do that sort of thing out there. Normally, I, I would you know flip this around and ask you know what what needs to get better, and maybe there are some things with this offense that sort of need to improve. But I guess the the new question now becomes: Arthur Smith is not there, and he's been sort of credited as the mastermind behind this offense and behind the Tannehill revival. But now uh, he is off, and, and he has gotten a head coaching job. What what can we expect? I mean, how worried should we be about next year uh, with Arthur Smith not? They're in Tennessee anymore. I think it's, to me, the biggest player to worry about would be Derrick Henry, followed by Johnny Smith, because when I dove deeper into Arthur Smith and, and uh, what he likes to do, run the ball heavy. The only team that's ran more the last two seasons, the Baltimore Ravens, and that's skewed because Lamar Jackson runs so much. And then they were in like the top five in throwing two tight ends as well. So I actually think that depending on who the offense coordinator they bring in, obviously you're not going to get away from Derrick Henry, but can we see them going from having a near 50-50 split to a little bit heavier on the passing side? I think it's possible, which obviously helps Tannehill, A.J. Brown, Corey Davis if they bring him back. So I'm hoping that we could get some more passing out of this offense, but given the pieces and the talent they have, like I'm not really – super worried about Brown or, or Henry because I think at any offense coordinator is going to come in and be like, yeah, those are the two that we need to get. I mean, ball. that was sort of a, a nice thing about the offense is that it was, again, a a pretty concentrated passing game. You knew when they threw the ball, it was going to A.J. Brown, probably Corey Davis. Um, you know, for, like I said, for the first half of the year, at least, was John U. Smith involved. Um, you know, Anthony Ferkser continues to be a thorn in our side because <laughs> he just pops up uh, with catches. But I, I agree. I don't I don't expect a big overhaul in, in how the ball is distributed next year. So that that is absolutely a good thing. So um, I, I think that's something to kind of hang our hat on real quick. Because we, we've already talked about the Falcons. We talked about them very early on before they had hired Arthur Smith. <sighs> Do they have the running back on that roster that can like maybe handle that workload? I mean, do we believe that he's going to do something for, you know, Smith, Brian Hill, somehow resurrect Todd Gurley, or do they have to go get a running back? I think they have to go get a running back. Like we've seen Brian Hill and Edo Smith uh, the last two years, because last year, you know, Gurley got benched and was in and out of the lineup a little bit. And the year before that Freeman was really banged up and missed a lot of time. Neither one of those guys looked like anything more than just a guy to me. Like, are they a competent backup running back? Yeah, I think so. But anything more than that, I don't. I don't. And especially if this is going to be a, a coach who wants to kind of set up the offense to run through the run game, I don't see how you can do that and be like, yeah, I'm comfortable with Brian Hill and Edo Smith. I think they'll sign or draft someone. And Marcus, I said he throws to tight ends a lot. I don't know if we've seen the last of the Hayden Hurst type. Oh. 
<laughs> so now I have to read. Now I have to decide whether or not I'm going to buy back in again next year because uh, I was heavy <laughs> on Hayden Hurst and I was left disappointed. So now, now you have to be thinking whether or not I should should re up on that. Um, back to the Titans though, real quick. Are we sleeping on Ryan Tannehill? Because you know, look, I, I get it. Look, it, it, a couple years ago, uh, he takes over for Marcus Mariota, has a great season, and we all kind of looked at it, we're like. That's cool, but, you know, it's Ryan Tannehill. Like, we've seen this before. And then this year he goes out and balls out again. So at this point, he's done it back-to-back seasons. Like, at this point, shouldn't we just buy in? Shouldn't we just start hyping Ryan Tannehill uh, more? I, I feel like he's not getting uh, getting the, the, the recognition he deserves for what he's done the last two years. So it's funny you ask because actually today my first off season article came out and it's way too early top 12 quarterbacks heading into 2021. And I had Ryan Tannehill at 11 and I think that's a good spot to have him because I do agree. He gets slept on a little bit. He puts up QB one numbers. I mean, since taking over as the Titans starter, multiple passing touchdowns in 20 of his 26 games played. Like he's very consistent. He can give you 21 plus points in any given week. But quarterback is so deep. Like, the 10 I have ahead of him, Mahomes, Allen, Murray, Dak, Watson, Lamar, Rodgers, Wilson, uh, Justin Herbert, and Jalen Hurts. Hurts is maybe the only one that I can justify moving Tannehill over because quarterback is just so deep. Yeah, and I guess, you know, when you start listing names, it it does make sense, right, that that all of these guys seem to have better outlooks and better ceilings. The other part of it is, like, the touchdowns are great, and obviously they're, they're key. He's generally not a huge passing yardage guy either. I mean, d- did not have 4,000 yards this year. Um, you know, has has what has a couple of four thousand yard seasons in his career, but even those uh, are a few few years in the rearview mirror. So, um, and, and look, as long as Derrick Henry is there, they are still going to run the ball quite a bit, which sort of kind of depresses, I think, what his passing totals could eventually be. So maybe you're right. Maybe it is eleven. So maybe maybe both things can be true, right? That we can sort of believe that Ryan Tannehill is a good fantasy quarterback who deserves respect. While also realizing that there probably are, you know, eight to ten guys that are, you know, have have higher ceilings and better outlooks than him uh, throughout the season. Sorry, Ryan. Um, <laughs> just it is what it is. I mean, being a QB one a couple years ago for Ryan Tannehill would have been. I mean, we never would have said it. That's true. Uh, that is very true. We never would have thought. I mean, you know, those last couple of years in Miami, we fit. We figured, you know, this is sort of the end of the line. I mean. Look, he had to go to another team and be a backup, right? And and it was only because uh, a combination of poor performance and a little bit of injury with Marcus Mariota uh, that Tannehill got in there, uh, and then he took advantage of the opportunity. But yeah, I mean, it it looked like he was sort of on that path to being a, a journeyman backup for the rest of his career. So I, you know, definitely kudos to him for for turning it around at this point. Uh, so we go from number twenty two to. The team that would be in the 23rd spot, which is the Seattle Seahawks, unfortunately for them, that pick belongs to the New York Jets. But uh, this is where the Seahawks would pick. So this is where we're going to talk about them. 12 and four this past season. Uh, They go out, they win the NFC West and then just sort of lay an egg kind of uh, in the playoffs there. uh, A really just ugly looking loss to the Rams in the postseason. Uh, and it's just, I don't know, is it, is, it, is it fair to just say this is like a tale of two halves of the season, at least for Russell Wilson? The first half of the season, Russell Wilson cooked. Second half of the season, Russell Wilson did not cook at all. <laughs> um, so I guess, I guess you know, the first half was good. Second half was bad. Uh, what, what say you about the, the Seahawks this year? Um, I, I think it really was a tale of two different parts of the season. And when I looked into it, I, I saw that like from week it was week 12 on, especially that Russell Wilson was really shook, like to the point where I don't believe he scored 20 points in any of those games. And I looked at it and they were throwing six percent less in that final stretch of the season than they were early on, which to me is like, hey, another reason we should let Russ cook because <laughs> your offense was clicking. He was an MVP favorite, which he never is, but he was in the first half of the season. DK Metcalf was looking like an absolute star. And then you decided, hey, let's start running the ball more. And your offense just never got back on track. It, it looked dismal for all of your players not even just Russ like DK wasn't the same down the stretch Lockett faded hard 
And now we hear Marcus Pete Carroll saying we need to go back to running the ball more. We need to run it more efficiently. And to me, it's why I have Russell Wilson nine in the early QB rankings. And it's why I had DK as my in my top five when I put out rankings, you know, a couple weeks ago. And I think I'm going to lower him because if you're going back to running the ball, uh, to me, that's very scary because from 2010 to 2019, no team ran the ball more than the Seahawks. And that was all Pete Carroll's tenure. So this was the first year they let Russ cook. And now they're like, yeah, let's go. to. Well, it's like, you know, they they let Russ cook. And there was a point at which I sort of understood pulling it back a little bit, right? Midway through the season, Russell Wilson was sort of a turnover machine. He was throwing a ton of interceptions, uh, maybe trying to do a little bit too much. And then the, so the Seahawks sort of, you know, they, they took the the spatula out of his hand, right? They, They didn't let him cook quite as much. But it felt like they they went completely the other direction, right? Where they they completely tied his hands, uh, and I know some of it was they were getting their running backs healthy again. Chris Carson was coming back, so they were going to give him the opportunity there. But it just felt like they went into an offensive shell. What I think helped them down the stretch is that their defense got better. Let's 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 not forget the first part of the season we were we were targeting the Seahawks defense hard because they were giving up you know, yards and points left and right. I mean, they were on pace to be a historically bad defense. Uh, And then somewhere midway through the season, they figured it out. They turned it around. They got better, which definitely helped them win games when their offense wasn't playing well. So that was a good thing. Uh, But I do worry. I'm with you. I'm sort of afraid that they go back to being this run-heavy offense again that we see. And look, I like Chris Carson. I think he's a good back. But I don't think you can – consistently be successful if you feel like Chris Carson's got to touch the ball 20 times a game. Um, I just don't think that's going to work, especially when you saw DK Metcalf really blossom this year. Uh, The the fact that he looks like a legitimate wide receiver one. uh, And I'm old enough to remember when people were worried that his three cone drill was going to doom him in the national football league. And it turns out that, Hey, you know what? Maybe it's not so important that you can't run around three cones uh, you know, faster than a whole bunch of other guys. You look like DK and run like DK. I don't think it matters. I don't think it matters, right? I mean, look, I was there in Indianapolis at the Combine that year when he ran his 40 and like a murmur went through the crowd when they found out what the time was. Uh, then the three-cone drill happened and there's a whole lot of tweets about like, hey, maybe he should take a yoga and Pilates class and like loosen up those <laughs> hips, be more flexible. And like now he's chasing down Buda Baker on interceptions and like nobody cares. So um, – <laughs> So I, I would like to see maybe some balance uh, between what what we saw at the start of the year with Russ kind of you know, being everything and at the end of the year with Russ sort of you know taking a backseat in that offense. Um, what, I, what I liked most early on, Marcus, yeah. too, was like they didn't get away from like Chris Carson. They just started throwing him the ball more. Right. And me, that opens up so much in your offense. That was a weird thing, too, because we were always, I mean, you know, it was sort of like with a lot of running backs. Like, well, Chris Carson doesn't catch the football, and so maybe that's going to cap his production. And then uh, in week one, six targets. We're like, oh, well, this is new, <laughs> you know, and this is going to change things. Uh, that, you know, for the most part, I will say that that they sort of kept it up. He had a couple of six-target games. He had a seven-target game. So they sort of worked that in, and maybe that's something they have to do more of uh, next year. Um you talked about Tyler Lockett and just, you know, the peaks and valleys he had next year, uh, last year. So next year, where where would you target him? Um, you know, breaking down his overall season total versus the week to week. How how are you evaluating him next year? Yeah, I mean, he finished as the wide receiver eight this year, Marcus. He had a career high in fantasy points and fantasy points per game, but yet it feels like he was a bust. And I know you've said it before. He scored something like 35, 40% of his fantasy points in two games. Like mm-hmm. that, that is ridiculous. And I had him in a few teams this year. And after that 50-point performance, I was feeling great. And then basically after that, you were lucky if you got double digits out of him. So for me, knowing the inconsistency that he brought this past year, knowing that DK Metcalf is a bigger um, target share than than he's had in the last couple of years because he has been the lead uh, receiver there. And I think it would surprise a lot of people that Lockett had more targets and a higher target share than DK this year. I don't expect that next year. Like I think DK Metcalf is the alpha here and – 
for me, knowing that they're saying they want to run the ball more and that there's DK and all that, I don't think – I think like rounds four or five is where I would start to consider him. More round five, not even really round four. I'm not sure he falls that far because people always love Tyler Lockett in fantasy drafts, but he's just not someone – Um, for the first time, I don't think I'm going to have a whole bunch of Tyler Lockett in fantasy. People love him in fantasy drafts, and I, I, I do fear that it will be a thing where people look at his season-long total – and not look into the week to week and you'd be like, well, Hey, look, he was a top 10 receiver last year and look at the numbers he put up. But uh, I think anybody who had him on their roster and endured those week to weeks uh, will understand the frustration that comes along with it. And, you know, I, I remember maybe three quarters of the way through the season, sort of looking at it and breaking it down. Uh, you, you talk about the target share and in a lot of ways, Tyler Lockett this year sort of turned into a a Jarvis Landry type guy where they weren't using him down the field. I mean, those downfield shots were almost going exclusively to Metcalf. And for Lockett, it was a lot of underneath stuff. And so that's why he had the target share that he did. That's why he he out-targeted everybody else on the team. Um, But he wasn't picking up yards in chunks unless, you know, he he would break a a couple of tackles and have a big long run after the catch sort of thing. Um, he just was not a chunk player. Every once in a while, they would get him downfield to take those shots, but they generally uh, weren't using him that way. And that that is a frustrating way to live. I always say it's when your guy catches the football and the blue line of scrimmage line is still on the screen, um, it's just not exciting, you know? Uh, so that's something I think to take into account with, with Tyler Lockett in, in 2021. Can't. Can't you already hear people being like looking at the year long numbers for him and Metcalf and being like, oh, you can get DK production two rounds later with Tyler Lockett. Yeah, exactly. Which is funny because I think I said that about DK this year. I was like, hey, you can get Tyler Lockett production from DK <laughs> uh, a couple of rounds later. So why wouldn't you do it? But it's it's going to flip. Uh, but I still think I would I would pay up for DK uh, over Tyler Lockett in, in 2021. All right, uh, our last team in this round of the exit interviews, uh, the number 24 pick belonging to the Pittsburgh Steelers, 12-4 and this year. And I don't know how else to say it other than the Steelers were kind of a mess. And, you know, I think some of it had to do with their on-field performance. Some of it had to do with just being, I think, a legacy team like the Steelers. You have teams, you know, the, the Steelers, the Cowboys, uh, I think in some respect, you know, like the Giants, uh, you know, these teams were like long legacy teams who have such a long history in the league uh, and who had sustained success when things aren't going right. Um, and then you hear from their fan base, you hear from the national media about how bad things are. It makes things out like they're way worse than they possibly are. I mean, People talked about the Steelers at some point like they were the Jaguars, right? But, like, <laughs> they're 12 and 4. You know, they, they get to the postseason. Um, I know it wasn't always pretty, but, you know, defensively they were fantastic. And I guess, I guess, Florio, the, the issue comes because offensively it was sort of ugly, right? Um, what what was good? I guess I you know I'm trying to I'm trying to really come up with something. What for you was good about the Steelers' offense in 2020? Not a whole lot. Uh, if I had to pick one, though, I would say Deontay Johnson because uh, it was like a running joke uh, early on in the year. At least I, I kept saying it. Like if he stays healthy, he's gonna get double digit targets. And then throughout the year, even the game that he got benched for those drops. He finished that game tied for the team lead in, in targets. Like, so he was just a consistent I, I, borderline wide receiver one, maybe wide receiver two that you can just rely on the volume each week. And I felt like he was always a good value in, in you know, whether it be daily or he just kind of was overlooked a lot this year because so many people were like, but Juju is better. And some people were saying James Washington and Claypool were better. And I, I was just like, hey, give me the guy who's getting all the targets. So I thought he was – uh, a big bright spot for this team. I think Claypool showed that he belongs in the NFL, and and that was also good for them because he was one of those receivers coming in that, that we were like has a very high ceiling, but is he going to pan out? You know, he's kind of raw. Pittsburgh just – they know what they're doing when it comes to drafting wide receivers. I, I will admit I didn't know what to make of Chase Claypool before the season started. Um, you know, the, there was talk that maybe he – potentially be a tight end, um, you know, just kind of a big body guy who, you know, was just, I forgot about the tight Yeah. End. You know, he, they talked about him maybe being a tight end at some point. I mean, I think at Notre Dame, 
you know, I, I, he was listed as a wide receiver, but I feel like he just fell into the general category of pass catcher um, because they could kind of do a lot of different things with him. Uh, he obviously announced his presence with that huge four touchdown game he had fairly early in the season. Um, but he was also very hit or miss. Uh, you know, again, it's that, that old cop out of saying he's a good best ball guy, which he kind of was this year because there were there were peaks and there were valleys with him. I know. Look, I completely agree with you with what you say about Deontay Johnson. He was the guy getting the targets. He's the guy who seems to be the number one wide receiver. I kept sort of throwing my lot in with Juju, though, every single week because the production seemed more consistent. Um, He was frustrating to watch in the sense that he had he had 97 catches for 831 yards. That's gross. That's that's just gross. Uh, 8.6 yards per catch. Uh, I mean, he really was sort of a a check down guy more than anything. They just used him kind of as an outlet. Uh, because I don't know why, uh, to be honest with you, I really don't. Um, and I also feel like by the end of the year, we heard more about Juju's TikTok exploits, uh, than we did about anything he did on the field. So I, I do think going forward, Deontay Johnson is that guy. Um, he's the one that we're going to target first off the board. Um, he's the guy that probably has the biggest upside. Hopefully he buys a new pair of hands in the off season and breaks them (laughs) in. Um, so that was good. As for bad, uh, I mean, can we just say everything else? Ben Roethlisberger looks Ben Roethlisberger looks like he's washed at this point. I mean, he he struggled. We, we talk about Drew Brees and his inability to really push the ball down the field. Roethlisberger had some of the same issues, I think, that really sort of hamstrung the offense. Uh, the running game could never get going with, with James Conner, you know, being sort of in and out of the lineup and, and unproductive, then trying Benny Snell at times and not really getting a whole lot to show for it. Um, it just, it really was not like the Steelers offense we had come to know a few years ago when they were really humming along. I mean, there, there are some, some real issues that they got to fix in this offense. Yeah. I, I, I think they need to move on from Connor and Snell and all those backs in their back. Like they do not have the answer. I don't think for run, their starting running back on the roster right now. Connor has the talent. He's just never available. And that is a, I mean, the best, Ability is availability, so he has to be out there. And Big Ben, I think, really held this offense back, Marcus. 6.9 air yards per pass attempt, career low. He he had one season prior in his whole career below eight. So to me, that is why Deontay Johnson was getting so much targets because he is more of that, you know, shifty, get open, quick guy, and you could get him the ball. That's why Juju had – I tweeted late in the season, like, when did Juju become a tight end? <laughs> because it was exactly what you said. Like, career low A dot, career low, like, yards after the catch. They were just using him basically to move the chains, and that was it. And I have flashbacks to when Juju was playing alongside AB as one of the best downfield threats. Uh, where did that go? Like, he hasn't lost that ability. He's still super young. And – I think Big Ben needs to, as sad as it is, I think he needs to join Rivers and probably Drew Brees in in retirement because he is not the same quarterback since that elbow injury last year. He's just trying to get the ball out of his hands as quickly as possible. And for a team that has pretty explosive playmakers, I would say, like bring in Jameis Winston or something. (laughs) Like that would be so much fun. But Marcus, did you see which quarterback they brought in? Uh, Dwayne Haskins. Yes, I saw that. He is not the answer. I don't know. I don't understand that. I I don't. Um, especially because if you're the Steelers, I would want I would want a backup quarterback. Look, because Roethlisberger says he wants to come back next year, um, and you know he's still under contract. Um, if I'm the Steelers, I want a backup quarterback that I can feel confident can come in and and keep the offense you know moving competently. Right. Because you have a quarterback in Roethlisberger who's getting up there in age, who has, look, be honest, he has a lengthy injury history. It feels like every year, even if Ben doesn't miss games, that he's going in there at like not only going in at like 80 percent, but like letting everybody know that he's going in at 80 percent. Like Ben's not shy about telling you when he's hurt. He um, routinely leave games and just be standing on the sideline. For right. So if that's the case, like I want a backup quarterback that I feel like, okay, look, if something happens to Ben, this guy can go in there and we're not going to just completely fall apart. And 
maybe Dwayne Haskins still has a future in this league, right? I mean, he, he, he didn't get a ton of opportunity in Washington. What he did get, he, he did not necessarily do well with, but that doesn't mean he's done, but he also is still a project. And if I'm the Steelers, I don't, I don't need a project as a backup quarterback. I need a guy, I, I need a Jameis Winston, right? I need, I need an Andy Dalton, you know, like even, even when things went bad for the Cowboys, you at least had a level of confidence that Andy Dalton could kind of keep it together, that's kind of what the Steelers need. So I saw the Haskins thing, uh, and it didn't make sense to me at all. Um, they, they already have a project quarterback in Mason Rudolph, and we it hasn't worked out there. And did you see, too, that they're talking to Hugh Jackson? That's like, the offensive coordinator. <laughs> do they want to lose? <laughs> I, I am confused by what's happening in Pittsburgh. Um, but that begs the question, right, with Ben saying he wants to come back and play another year. If he is back, like, you know, assume he probably will be. Um, does that depress where you are targeting any of those pass catchers? I mean, look, I don't know if Juju's going to be there, but Deontay, uh, Claypool, James Washington. Um, do you hesitate on those guys if Ben is the quarterback next year? Yeah, I think I think I would be okay with Deontay because we've seen that the volume will, especially if Juju leaves, like I think that opens up even more because those were the consistent top two targets each week. But like a Claypool is someone that I was really excited about. And I, he is so explosive, but can I trust big Ben to, to not only get him the ball downfield, but to throw the ball downfield. I, it doesn't feel like it. Cause last year it was Everything you heard, especially like in the playoffs and stuff, was how quick Big Ben is getting the ball out of his hands this year. It was under three. It was like two and a half seconds. That does not give you a lot of time to get down the field and get open. So I think it does hurt a lot of those pass catchers besides the, the short yardage guys, which because that's what I anticipate Ben is going to do. So in that case, maybe Juju sticks around and ends up being productive. You know, get another, you know, another 90-something catches for like, you know, 840 yards. You know what would be fun? I think you would love it. USC connection, Donald and Juju. Look, I look. I have been. I have been sort of in my mind trying to reunite, or I should say, to to connect Juju and Darnold. Um, in, in my head, like I for a while, I was thinking, well, maybe maybe the Bears can somehow uh, make a deal for Darnold and then sign, you know, re-sign Allen Robinson and then bring in Juju and put that offense together. But hey, if if we want to make it happen in Pittsburgh. I'm down for that too. Bring Darnold in, kind of let him sort of rehabilitate himself and his his image a little bit there uh, on the field. Get Juju the ball. I'm all for it. I think it'll be fun. They, they played together, right, at USC? Uh, briefly, um, but yeah, I I think it'd be interesting. That would be uh, that'd be kind of cool. Um, which actually reminds me, uh, if you are not playing the playoff challenge, you can still jump in and do that. There are championship games, obviously, this weekend. Uh, so if you have not started, eh, whatever, you know, you, you you have limited options, but it's still a way to kind of jump in, uh, play, enjoy the games, have a good time this weekend. You can go to playoffchallenge.fantasy.nfl.com. I know that's a mouthful. Uh, just Google playoff challenge uh, and you can uh, I should say, you know, Internet search it. I shouldn't use the proper name, right? Because maybe you use a different search engine. I don't know. Uh, so internet search for, play, for playoff challenge. Right. Ask Jeeves it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Is, is Alta Vista still around? You can try that one too. I have no idea. Um, so there you go. Uh, but along those lines, uh, it is championship weekend. So I know a lot of folks out there are also playing daily fantasy. So I felt like Let's keep this going. Let's keep putting together our DFS lineups for the week. So for you, uh, with four teams left in the running, how did you put together a lineup? I I built around – I went stars and scrubs, I say. like I got a lot of the higher-priced players in. I went with Josh Allen over Mahomes just because I needed to save that salary. Mm -hmm. So I went with Allen, Aaron Jones as my RB1, Ronald Jones as my RB2 at 4,600. He – you know, I was off of Rojo coming into the year, but he just is so much more explosive than Fournette. And 13 carries last week. Maybe this is the, the week they just really let him take that backfield over again and a great matchup against the Packers' run D. Uh, and then for my receivers, Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs, and I had to go cheap on the third, so I went with Gabe Davis, who has been getting more involved as of late. And what I'm hoping is a shootout between the Chiefs and the Bills. Uh, and then... Tight end, uh, I had Travis Kelsey, 
And then my flex is Dawson Knox, and my defense was the Bucks. So very, very either stars or very cheap options. So as you were reading it, um, I was worried, afraid, amused that we had some sort of mind meld going on because uh, the first four were identical. I went Josh Allen, Aaron Jones, Ronald Jones, and Devontae Adams to start with. Uh, and then after there, we, we sort of diverge a little bit. I went John Brown. Um, you know, because I wanted to sort of stack somebody if I could with Josh Allen, but I also needed to kind of save some salary in there. So I went with John Brown as my second receiver. Um, Marquez Valdez Scantling, uh, maybe just to get some deep shots down the field. MVS is a guy that is sort of, you know, he's always going to have, I think, one or two really bad drops at some point in the game, but he might also make some miraculous catch and maybe even find his way into the end zone, especially if there's like a blown coverage or something like that. So uh, I used him as my third wide receiver. I did go Travis Kelsey at the tight end because, I mean, why wouldn't you? Um, my flex was Cole Beasley, so I, I kind of double stacked, I guess, if you will, uh, with Josh Allen. So I, I got Beasley in as a flex. And then my defense is the Bills, which uh, was sort of you know not knowing completely where Patrick Mahomes is going to be. Uh, I know that right now he's making his way through the concussion protocol. There's optimism that he will play. Um, but, you know, in the event that it doesn't work out and the Chiefs have to start Chad Henney in that game, um, then I felt like maybe we'll give a shot to the Bills uh, defensively. But uh, I'm amused, though, that we uh, we are very we are very similar. <laughs> with these. You have like five, five of the same players, I believe. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so if you guys out there have a wildly different lineup, We'd love to see it. Uh, definitely, uh, you can screenshot it to us and, and send it to us on Twitter. Uh, and, yeah, we just all have a, a good time about it. Um, obviously, I know which game you, is going to draw the majority of your attention. Uh, I just got to ask, I mean, going into Championship Sunday, how are you feeling right now about the Bills? Um, I'm feeling pretty good, believe it or not, because it's – there's something to be said, like when, like last, the first two playoff games, I kind of was going in like, like the first one, I was like, the Bills have to win today. And the second one, I was like, I'm going to be disappointed if they lose to Baltimore. Now, though, going up against the Chiefs, the Patrick Mahomes, you know, the defending Super Bowl champs, feel like you're playing with house money at this point. But so many people are kind of like the Bills had a good run. This is where it ends that I'm like. Maybe they could come out and surprise a lot of people because they're playing their best football of the year right now. So that's all you can ask. It is really all you can ask for. I mean, for what it's worth, I think they win. I think they shock the world. Um, You know, the Chiefs, obviously a very good team, but this offense isn't clicking quite like it was this time last year. Um, You know, they they have not won a game by 10 points or more in quite a while. Um, So, like, look, let's remember, remember, remember last year in the playoffs, what was it? They, they fell behind, was it 24-0, something like that, against the Texans, and then just rolled, steamrolled the rest of the way. Um, they don't have quite that look about them this year. So I think especially if the Bills can come out early and, and punch them in the mouth, I don't know, bite a couple of kneecaps early on in this <laughs> game, um, maybe they can surprise somebody. Uh, so I, I, I think it's going to be a fun game. I definitely do. Um, on the other side, between the, the, the Packers and the Bucks, any expectation there for that one? I'm really ex- – like, as someone who has no rooting interest in that in that game because all my rooting interest is with the Bills, like, I'm just excited. Like, Brady and Rodgers have never played in the playoffs before. Who knows how many years they each have left. So, um, I'm one of those people, Marcus, who for years I, I did hate on Tom Brady because he <laughs> would just dominate the AFC East every single year. But – I'm also a person who I like to appreciate greatness. I don't like to to fully hate on it. Like that's why I've come around. I'm a LeBron fan. I rooted for the Warriors during that that run they had because, uh, yeah, we could get parity and have a different champ every year. But if there's a team that or a person that can consistently succeed, to me, I'm like enjoy it while you can because it's not going to last forever. So just watching these two legends go at it, uh, I'm excited for that game too, and especially because. That was Aaron Rodgers' lone bad game of the year came against this Bucks. That's true. Um, yeah, that's absolutely true. Uh, for me, go Packers. Um, like, <laughs> I'm rooting for Green like, Bay. But. Uh, look, Tom Brady is great. Obviously, he's had an amazing career. Uh, you know, is going to go down as one of the, if not the greatest ever. Um, yeah, I've seen enough of him in Super Bowls. That's fine. Uh, also, like, of all the, the accomplishments and accolades and everything he's won, like, 
I don't know if I could stand it that he would be the first quarterback to play a Super Bowl in his home stadium. Like, I just, like, I can't. I can't with it. So. And without Bill Belichick, and that's all we're going to hear. And- it's going to be insufferable. So, uh, congrats on having an amazing career. And I know Brady's not done, but uh, go, Pat, go. <laughs> uh, also, I, I also say that because I, I am always – I've always been a huge Aaron Rodgers fan going back to his days at Cal – um, you know, I, I just remember watching him and, and enjoying his his career there. Also being a guy that wanted the 49ers to take him over Alex Smith uh, way back when. I knew they should have taken Aaron Rodgers. He sat in the green room and he has made it a, a point to try and punish the 49ers uh, as much as possible every time uh, he played them. So that's great. I feel like he does that to every team, though. Like he just thinks of reasons to hate every single team. Like he hates the Bears and he just tortures <laughs> them every single season. Seriously, I mean, he really—he is the Michael Jordan, like you know. And then I took that personally, like he is—he really is that. We're just built on spite. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, the Aaron Rodgers petty party. Like I've, I've given it this year the petty party, but maybe it actually goes back even further than that. It, maybe it goes all the way back to him getting drafted, uh, and and just taking it out on everybody for you know the past 15, 16 years. Who knows? All right, so, uh, but should be a fun weekend of football. Of course, we'll be back next week to kind of recap a little bit of that and keep our exit interviews going as well. Uh, in the meantime, for us, that is it. We are done. We appreciate you hanging out with the NFL Fantasy Football Show. You know the drill. Tell two friends to tell two friends. Rate, review, and remember, when life gives you melons, you might be dyslexic. Be safe, take care of yourselves, wear a mask, and we'll see you on Tuesday. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish spring body wash and bar soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.